we're finishing up our series uh, called Fully Devoted today. And um, what we've done is we started this whole series on this journey toward becoming a fully devoted follower of Christ. And, and we started with grace, and we're going to end today with grace, because I thought there was no better topic that we could look at on this day, Resurrection Sunday, than grace. And, and the best thing that we have as a church to offer people who come in, it's not resources, it's not facilities, it's not ministries, it is grace. It's the grace that was um, shown in Jesus Christ's life and his teaching and his death and his resurrection. And it's the grace that we receive to God that we offer to everybody who comes through those back doors. And so today I want to look at the life of Paul. Other than Jesus Christ in the New Testament, the greatest person in the New Testament times was Paul. And I want to look at... Um, First Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I want to look starting at verse 7. Now before that, Paul is talking about some really wild spiritual experiences that he's had. And then he goes, he starts in verse 7 and he says this, To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so Christ's power might rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, and persecutions, and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul says that he was given a thorn in the flesh. Now, I want you to think about this. Um, the, the word that he used here is scolops. And uh, it's also a word that could be translated as a stake or as in the New Testament. A lot of scholars think this is more than just a thorn, more than just a splinter. It's kind of like a stake, something that's being driven into his body. Whatever the case is, this is something that's painful. A, a thorn is something that you don't want to be there. You wish really was not there. It gives you a lot of pain. At any rate, Paul says he's got this real painful deal. It's a thorn and he wants it gone. Now, there have been a million theories about what this thorn was in, in uh, Paul's flesh because he doesn't tell us what it is. Uh, Luther and Calvin, they thought it was certain temptations that he faced over and over again. Some people think it stands for the persecution that Paul had to go through. If you've read the New Testament, you know, he had all kinds of persecutions that he went through. Some theories are more physical. Some people think he had epilepsy or malaria, or they thought that, that um, he had some speech defect. Or you may have even heard that, that Paul had some eyesight defect, because in one of his letters he says, see how I wrote with my own hand with such large letters. And we don't know for sure because Paul doesn't say, but we know he had some type of defect. Other people think that he just wasn't very much to look at. Because Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, he says that some people who opposed him, because wherever he would go, there would spring up opposition to his message of grace and, and the cross of Jesus Christ. Paul said that some people said about him, his letters, Paul's letters, man, they're weighty. They're very impressive. But in person, the dude's not much to look at. He's very unimpressive in, in person. And the oldest description that we have of Paul comes from the second century. We don't know whether it's accurate or not. It's just the oldest one we had. And I thought you would like to hear how this writer describes Paul. Paul was small in stature, bald-headed, bow-legged, a vigorous physique with meeting eyebrows. Meeting eyebrows. Unibrow? Uh, I don't know. And a slightly hooked nose. Anyone want that written about you? you that's the description you want? No. And there's one other phrase that I'm going I'm to give you later. So it said that Paul was this small... Um, Small in stature, bald-headed, bow-legged, vigorous physique with meeting eyebrows and a slightly hooked nose. And we'll talk more about his description here in a minute because there's one other phrase I need to tell you later. Nobody knows what the, the thorn was, but we know this. It was painful, it was embarrassing, it was humiliating, and he desperately wanted it gone. 
And it's probably just God's wisdom that he didn't tell us what the thorn was so that all of us can identify with Paul and we can think, well, maybe my thorn's his thorn. Maybe, maybe I've got something in common with Paul. Because here's the truth. This is on your listening guide. Everybody has a thorn. Every person has a thorn. I don't know with the weather whether you can get on to version, but if you have smartphones, you can follow along, assuming you can even get internet connection, but you can try that if you want to. Your thorn is that place in your life that you desperately do not want to talk about. It's the thing you wish was not there. It's where you feel most vulnerable, most broken or defeated. You'd, you'd like to pretend that you don't even have this thing poking you, but you know that it's poking you. Could be a difficult marriage or maybe a relationship that doesn't exist that you very much, much wish did exist. Could be a physical disability that you or somebody in your family has to uh, deal with. Your thorn might be some addictive desire or it may be an ambition that's never been fulfilled. Could be a struggle with depression or an overwhelming sense of loneliness. I don't know what your thorn is, but I know you have one and I know that in this life, no one gets to choose their thorns. Paul said, I begged God to take this thorn away. And he uses a real strong Greek word here, parakaleo. And this is not a common term. This is not a nice little pass the salt type word. This was, I'm desperate to get rid of this. I'm pleading. I'm begging, please remove this from me. And the scripture tells us in verse 8, Paul says three times, I begged God with desperate urgency to remove this thorn in my flesh. And the number three is, is an indication of scripture in Scripture of desperation. You just saw in our drama where Jesus said, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. How many times did he pray that? Three times. It's an indication of a desperate request where you're asking someone who is a higher power to remove something that you cannot remove yourself. And Paul says, for a long time I cried out, God, look, I'm trying to serve you. I'm carrying this message all over the known world. I'm traveling around on your behalf. I'm facing beatings, stonings. I'm going to prison. I have this thorn. God, why do you leave me in pain? And heaven's silent. If the dude who wrote half of the New Testament can beg God to remove this pain from me, and heaven is silent, can you, can you begin to understand some of Paul's frustration? He, he doesn't understand this. He may be confused and disappointed. What's going on, God? You ever been there? You ever cried out for God to take the pain away? And heaven's silent? And then God speaks some unbelievable words. And he says, Paul, I've got something for you. It's not thorn, thorn removal. It's better than that. It's not pain elimination. It's stronger than that. Paul, I have something for you, and it's called grace. It's real important that we understand grace today. Grace is the offer of God's uninterrupted presence and irrational love that cannot be stopped in your life. Grace is not just the forgiveness of sins. Sometimes church folk get confused about this. Grace is the offer of forgiveness, but it's so much more than that. Grace is the flow of God's power and presence and favor in your life from this moment to this moment to this moment to enable you to do what God has called you to do. It is what sustains you. It's overwhelming, overpowering, but it only sustains 
trained you to do what God has called you to do, not what you have called yourself to do. And so if you're feeling like you don't have much grace in your life today, it could be that you're not on God's path because God said, I'll never leave you. I will never forsake you. My grace is enough. You may have pain in your life. You're probably going to have pain in your life the rest of your life. God says, my grace is sufficient for you. It is sufficient. It will be sufficient. My grace is enough. And I proved it on Easter Sunday morning when I raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And this is real huge because before Paul met Christ, he was not known for grace. He was known for zeal. He was known to be fanatically religious, so much so that he threw Christians in prison and he even watched one get killed and he was approving of it. And then he met Jesus Christ. And he became this grace machine. And he never got over grace. It was all he could talk about. And if you study the the letters to the Corinthians, there's actually a lost letter in the middle. There's 1 Corinthians, there's 2 Corinthians, there's there's one that we don't even have. But in 1 Corinthians, the third verse, what he says to them is grace to you. It's the first thing he can think of to tell these people that he loves so dearly. Grace to you. And then the very last thing he says in 2 Corinthians, the end of the last letter, uh, chapter 13, verse 14. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. He said this stuff all the time in his letters. 13 letters in the New Testament. Grace is just everywhere in there. It was all he could think about. His story about himself was God's God's grace is sufficient to overcome all of my issues. And then the message that he desperately wanted people he loved to hear was, God will make his grace abound, overflow to you, it says in 2 Corinthians 9.8. Paul just never, ever got over grace. After he got blindsided by grace, you know what he did? He stopped asking God to remove his thorn because your thorns look a whole lot different if you let them lead you to grace. I read for you earlier the earliest description we have of Paul. It contained one more phrase, so let me go back and read it again. The writer says, Paul was small in stature, bald-headed, bow-legged, a vigorous physique, with meeting eyebrows and a slightly hooked nose, and then one more phrase, and full of grace. I don't know what you're full of today. And I'm not going to ask your family. But how often has it been said that you're full of grace? When when you run into somebody, is grace what spills out? Or is it something gross? Because this little bald-headed Bow-legged, unibrowed man was full of grace. You talk about a makeover. We love watching Biggest Loser. And Janie's favorite thing is, is the, the makeover week. And, you know, every contestant, I just want to make it to makeover week. Because they've lost all this weight. And then they get new hair and clothes. And Janie loves it. It's, I'm on the computer because I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and she's watching, oh, don't they look great? What if you met the Savior like these people did in our drama? And it rocked you to the core And you became a person whose life was filled with grace. Would that make a difference in your relationships? Would it make a difference in your family? And see, as a matter of historical record, whether you believe in the Bible or not, whether you're a Christ follower or not, as a matter of sheer historical record, this little bald-headed, bow-legged, unibrowed man took this story of grace from Jerusalem to Corinth to Rome and literally turned the the ancient world upside down. And here we are. 
2,000 years later, halfway around the planet because of what God did with this little bald-headed, bow-legged, unibrowed man. And if God can do something like that with a bald-headed, bow-legged, unibrowed man, what could God do with you? Or with the bald-headed, bow-legged, unibrowed person sitting next to you? What could God do if we understood grace? What could God do with this church if we really caught on to grace? Now, let me just say a couple of things real quick. If you're a guest today, whether it's your first time or your tenth time here, there are guests here that I know have never appropriated the grace of Jesus Christ in their life. You've never done that personally. And, and see what happens. Grace is this free gift. The grace that God offers you is the most expensive free gift in history. It costs the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords his life, and he offers it to you. And it's this free gift, but if you never accept that gift, you never appropriate it to your life, your sins are not paid for. Jesus said, I'm willing to die for you, but you must accept what I've done. If you don't, you will stand before God one day and God will say, you're not one of mine. I do not know you. Depart from me. And don't ever say that God sends some people to hell. People choose hell when they reject Jesus Christ. But if you say, I'm done, I know that I can't, I'm not righteous. I know that on my best day, I can't do anything that would even get God's attention. And you accept humbly that that gift of grace. The Bible says that your account, your sins, are paid in full. And then when you stand before God one day, because the Bible says everyone will. Whether you believe it or not, the Bible says that we will all stand before God. And actually it says we will kneel before Jesus Christ. We'll call Him Lord. If you don't call Him Lord on this side of the grave, you'll call Him Lord on the other side of the grave, but it will be too late. Because you have to appropriate the grace before you die. And, and maybe you're interested in this God stuff. Maybe you're spiritually seeking. Um, you've never really understood about grace. I've got a challenge for you if you're a guest. Maybe you've thought of God as some kind of severe character who you had to do enough and give enough and, and, and earn your way into his good favor. He might like you. That's kind of like doing thorn management where you know, you know you have a thorn and you put a bow on it and you squirt some perfume on it so your thorn looks good. You've got this big old stake sticking out of your arm and you're going to try to dress it up. That's what that's like. I want to challenge you to make a commitment to continue to attend a church. If you're close enough to new life, come here. If you're not, wherever you're from, go to a church that preaches straight out of the Bible. And then pray this prayer. God, show me about grace, and I promise you God will reveal His grace to you, and it'll blow your mind. And if you're a guest and you've never done this, then I want, to, I want to challenge you to read the book of John. Get a Bible. If you don't have one, come see me. I will give you one before you leave here today. And I want you to read the book of John, and you're going to meet this character, this man named Jesus Christ, who went to a cross and died so that he could give you, he could pay for your sins and give you a life of grace. And I want to to ask you to never stop learning and never stop seeking this grace until you come to the point that you're really willing to make a decision to turn everything you know of yourself to everything you know of Jesus Christ, because it is the single defining moment in a human being's life. I want to challenge you to keep doing that. Now, most of you here, you're you're here because you already are in the kingdom of God. I've got three challenges for you before we leave on this Resurrection Sunday. And, And if you'll do these things, not only will your life be a life characterized by grace, but by extension, this church will be characterized by grace. First is own your thorns. This is a church for people with thorns. 
for people with weaknesses and brokenness and vulnerability and problems. If you've got no thorns, if your life is pretty well put together, then I just got news for you. This church isn't for you because we're messed up. And, and quite honestly, there are no people without thorns. There's just some thorny people in denial. A hypocrite is someone who has thorns but pretends they don't. So when people call us hypocrites, really they're not, they're not accurate because we know we have thorns. We will tell you we've got thorns. And if you're in a small group with us, we'll share some of those thorns because that's what you're supposed to do. That's what the Bible says. If you want to get well from your thorns, if you want grace, you got to do that in community. you got to trust some people and open up your heart and your life to them. Eleven years ago, New Life Community Church said... 11 years ago this June, June 22nd, we said our mission was to reach out to the most sin-filled, messed up, junked up, thorn-prone, dysfunctional, grace-needing, mistake-making people in Anderson County. And if you look around, I think we're doing a pretty good job of that. But if we're going to continue to do what God wants us to do and grow into this community that's filled with grace, we've, we've got to be real honest and open about our thorns, and we've got to share that with other people. We've got to have the courage to get real. No hiding, no pretending, not here. You want to put on a mask and pretend? Go somewhere else. Because we want the truth here. And the truth will set you free, is what Jesus said. This is a part of the world where people are pretty expert at looking good on the outside, but hiding or pretending that there's nothing wrong on the inside. Not here, not at this church. This is just a place for thorny people because grace only gets released in a place where people are honest about their thorns. So you got to take that risk. And, and let me tell you something. When you take this risk, when you get into a group of people who love you, and, and, and actually, if you just go home to your family and you say to your family, I've got some thorns, your family is not going to go, oh, I had no idea. Oh, dear Jesus, set me free from this thorny mess. No. You know what they're going to say? I know you do. And I love you anyway. And I've got some thorns too. Right? That's what real grace-filled people do. We've got to be a community of people who own their thorns. So just kind of as a very, very small step in, in this direction, I want you to turn to the person next to you and I want you to say, I've got a thorn. Come on. Now don't comment on their thorn. This is not the place to say, yeah, let me tell you about them. All right? This is just a small step of confession, and some of you are enjoying it way too much. That's enough. That's enough. You can pick that up. I'll give in, in 15 minutes. You can talk about thorns all you want to. This is just a thing where I want you to own the thorn. And I want you to think about this week. I want you to think about the fact that you have a thorn, and I want you to be honest with God about that, and I want you to tell somebody else about a thorn. And God's going to begin to let you free, set you free from that. Stop trying to hide it. So first thing is own your thorns. Second thing, ask God to make you individually and us as a church a dispenser of grace. A dispenser of grace. Peter and Paul both use this image, and really, as a follower of Christ, we ought to be dispensers. Grace ought to flow from us on a regular basis. And I want to give you a picture of that uh, a parable. And this parable was originally told by Jesus, and it was retold by Philip Yancey in his book, What's So Amaz Amazing About Grace. And by the way, there's no small groups tonight because of Easter, no small groups next week. Uh, we're going to the to uh, David Dogwood Park right after church and having a picnic uh, for first Sunday. So for two weeks, we don't have small groups. But if you want to understand about grace, 
come get in my small group. We are learning some stuff. We're studying this. I know uh, Jesse, the Selman group, and, and um, the Livelies, they've been, and Seth, y'all been talking about grace as well. If you want to understand grace, there's a couple of groups. All we're doing is studying grace. And um, this parable, what Jesus did, Jesus often compared the kingdom of God and grace to a wedding feast. And I want, to hear, I want you to hear how Philip Yancey retells this story. Accompanied by her fiancé, a woman went to the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Boston to order what was supposed to be their wedding banquet. They poured over the menu, made selections of china and silver, pointed to the pictures of flower arrangements they liked. They both had expensive tastes, and the bill came to $13,000. I just can't even imagine. I'd be saying, put it back, put it back. After leaving a check for half that amount... So 6,500 bones they they put down for that. As a down payment, the couple went home to flip through books of wedding announcements. The day the announcements were supposed to hit the mailbox, the potential groom got cold feet and he dumped the fiancé. I'm not sure, he said. It's a big commitment. Let's think about this a little longer. And he was out the door and gone. When his angry fiancé returned to the Hyatt to cancel the banquet, the events manager could not have been more understanding. The same thing happened to me, honey, she said. And she told the story of her own broken engagement. But about the refund, she had bad news. The contract is binding. You're only entitled to $1,300 back, so she was going to lose 5,200 smackaroos. You have two options, forfeit the rest of the down payment or go ahead with the banquet. I'm sorry, I really am. It seemed crazy, but the more the jilted bride thought about it, the more she liked the idea of going ahead with the party. Not a wedding banquet, mind you, but a big blowout. Ten years before, the same woman had been living in a homeless shelter. She'd gotten back on her feet, found a good job, set aside a a sizable nest egg. Now she had this wild notion of using her savings to treat the down and outs of Boston to a night on the town. And so it was in June of 1990. The Hyatt Hotel in downtown Boston hosted a party such as had never been seen before. The hostess changed the menu to boneless chicken in honor of the groom, she said. She sent invitations to rescue missions and homeless shelters. The warm summer night, that warm summer night, people who were used to eating, peeling half mud pizza off the cardboard and dined instead on chicken cordon bleu. Hyatt waiters in tuxedos served hors d'oeuvres to senior citizens propped up by crutches and aluminum walkers. Bag ladies, vagrants, and addicts took one night off from the hard life on the sidewalks outside and instead sipped champagne and ate chocolate wedding cake and danced to big band melodies late into the night. And Jesus said, if you can see that picture, you get an idea what the kingdom of God is like. Jesus said, it's like this banquet that's been thrown to honor my father. And my father's house is massive and it's still empty and there's still room for more people. And Jesus said, I want you to go out into the highways and byways and find people to come. Go find people that think they're a million miles from me and think they cannot ever come to me and compel them to come into my house. Because that's what the kingdom of God is like. Make it a place where grace just flows. And I want to tell you, I'm so proud to be of a church that's decided we're going to do that. We're going to pay the price to be a grace-dispensing church. But i got to tell you, sometimes people forget. Sometimes churches forget, and they start to think it's all about them. And they move from being grace-dispensers to grace-consumers. Give me more. It's about me. It's about me. And I want to tell you what that's like, to move from a dispenser to a consumer. And this was a pastor that I heard share this years ago. He said, somebody took me to a health club that's nearby. There was a sign at the desk that was there uh, that, that there was a discount now for new members, people who were just joining. 
you would get a free month, a grace period at this place because I want to be in good shape and I'm kind of cheap. I joined up with my family. A couple of days later, though, I walked in, that same sign was on the desk, and I thought to myself, I'm not so sure this is a good idea anymore because now if a bunch of new members come, I may not be able to park right in front. I might have to wait in line for the, for the machines that I want to use. There might not be a towel when I need to wipe my brow. I'm not so sure I want a bunch of new members around here. You know where this is going, right? Sometimes we get in churches and when it rains cats and dogs on Easter Sunday morning and there's no close parking places and we're running across and, and we're thinking, I've been here. I should be the one parking on the front row. How come, how come I'm... How, how come somebody's sitting in my spot? I'm going to tell you, years ago, before we started this church, I was preaching at another church around here. And, and none of y'all know which church. Is. All of you are thinking, which one? Which? You don't know. But I'll tell you this. And, and I thought they were joking. And uh, they told me, make sure your family doesn't sit on the second row. I'm like, what? And they said, we're, we're telling you. If your family sits on the second row, there's a lady that will come in and tell them to move because that's her pew. And her name was on a plaque on the end of it, so literally she had spent the money for that pew. And so I met the lady and I prayed that God would help her. <laughs> and then I went to my friend's church in Heiko one time and I was telling that story. And I was preaching, and this was Sunday night. I'd preached Sunday morning, I was preaching Sunday night, and I was down there talking to everybody, and I said, y'all aren't going to believe this. There was this church I was in, and there was stuff on the end, and people would sit in their pews, and I start seeing people start snickering. And I went, oh, no. And they're going, yep. So I walked over the end of the row, and there's names on every pew, and I'm like, oh, God, just strike me now, because <laughs> I'm done. They, they laughed about it, but, but here's the thing. It is not your chair. This is not your church. This is not my church. It belongs to the one who rose again. We could walk out there. He could strike me dead. And, and I pray to God that this church would continue on and, and do more than it did in my lifetime. This is not your church. The church is the only thing on the planet that was built for people who aren't here. Only organization that exists for people who haven't even shown up yet. This is not our church. We ought to be sitting on the front row, parking on the back row, so that when somebody comes here the first time, they find the easiest access to the exits because they don't know if we're crazy or not. <laughs> they hear that loud music, and, and they think that we might be insane. So I've, I've got a little exercise I want you to do. Next time that it's raining on a Sunday morning, and it, I don't remember the last time it's done this when people came in. Not that hard anyway. When you walk by those cars, when you're parked over in the other parking lot and you're walking by those cars and you're getting mud on your shoes, I want you to pray not that something bad would happen to the people who parked there and that, you know, drove that car. I want you to pray, God, fill that person with grace. Whatever you need to do in and through my church today, God, I give you my life. I give you our church. I'll give you my chair. 
I'll go sit and change diapers. I'll do whatever I need to so that person, whoever drove that car and took my place, can leave here changed because they've encountered the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to be a grace dispensing church. And, and we're going to pay the price, whatever that is. And it'll get inconvenient. But we follow one who went to the cross and we'll pay that price. So this week, I want you to pray, not God make my life free of thorns. I want you to pray, God make my life full of grace. And I want you to look at your family through the eyes of grace. Look at what Jesus Christ did on the cross. No matter what they do to you, say to you today, you look at the cross, you see them on the other side, and you treat them with grace. And watch how your relationships will improve. And watch how your witness about Jesus Christ will go up. I don't know what your thorn is, but I do know this. Jesus Christ knows all about thorns because He wore a crown full of them. He took your thorns, whatever it is, your weakness, your pain, upon Himself at the cross. And as you walk out of here on this Resurrection Sunday, I want you to remember the message of the cross and the message of the empty tomb is this. God's grace is enough. Let's pray together. Father, we want to... Praise you for the storm we had. God, I praise you that the lights didn't go off. I'm not sure everybody would have stayed if we were here in the dark, Lord. But thank you for what the message you gave to us through this drama. That the reason you came was to give us grace to endure those thorns that we have in our lives. And you came... to live a sinless life, pay for a bunch of sorry sinners because you loved us and you wanted us in your kingdom. And I pray, God, that today you would transform us with your grace and that we would never be the same again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you take your registration cards, fill those out for me real quick. We have three baskets at the back. One is our joy basket. That's how we take up offerings around here. And, and by the way, we do now have... Some of you tried online giving. We've gotten all the kinks worked out of that. Several of you have done that, and it's a three-step process. You can do recurring amounts, or you can do a one-time amount. But if you go on our website, you register the first time. After that, you don't have to register anymore. You just log in, and you can give there. Um, we have another basket that is our uh, registration card basket. That's, uh, I know some of your guests, and we're just weird. And so we said joy basket. And we had a noise for that, so somebody came up and said, we, we need a noise for the other basket. And so somebody just said, aw. And uh, that's just, we're thorny. We're, we're thorny. Um, so the registration card basket, that's where you put in, go ahead. That's where you put in those cards. If you have prayer concerns, put those on the back, because I pray through those uh, throughout the week. I love the praises. You guys are awesome. Been writing praises on there, just, and, and I praise with you when I read those. And then we have a bagel basket. Again, noises. And, and everything that goes in there, we did a series three years ago where we um, called Building a Great Life, and we had people pledge for three years, 36 payments over and above the tithe to try to get us out of debt. In three, I mean, you look around. This is not that big a church. In three years, because we just, we just gave our last uh, payment, in three years, New Life Community Church has paid off $250,000 of our $300,000 debt. So we're at $51,000. <laughs> That's glory to God. That's, that's not us. Because I'm going to tell you, there were 30 individuals, 
30 families who said, we'll give over and above the tithe. 30 families have given $250,000. So we're about out of debt, and we're wanting to get out of debt, and we don't ever want to be in debt again, and and we're trying to get ready for the next chapter, whatever God has for us. So everything goes in there goes to, to pay off debt. All right, so I want you to stand to your feet. And I want you to turn to the person on your right. They're going to look away from it, but you can whisper in there. Say, His grace is enough. Turn to the person on your left. Say, His grace is enough. You're dismissed. Sure.